Welcome to Hold Up, a podcast where we talk about Ewan McGregor's terrible American accents. My name is Grace, and my co-host is Hudson. How you doing, Hudson? Hey, I'm all right. It's I didn't know it was pronounced Ewan. I just go like Ewan, 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 Ewan. Oh, I'm gonna get tweets right from the first sentence I said in the. That's okay. <laughs> but um, if you get tweets, that means people are listening. So that's true. Um, yeah, we're watching um, Velvet Goldmine, a 1998 musical drama film. And we have a special guest. I'm so excited that my good friend Brooklyn Zed is here. Zed, how you doing? Hello. I am happy to be here talking about everybody's accents in this movie. Nobody's talking in like (laughs) their natural accents. I was like looking up where everybody was from as I was watching it. And it's like all over the place. We have like the entire UK covered. Tony Collette is from Australia. Uh, Eddie Izzard was born in Yemen. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Um, yeah, there's like no Americans in this movie, even though there are multiple people playing Americans. So that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He got, did he get to do his own accent or did he have, he's English. Was it, was that an English accent? I couldn't tell. He's from Scotland. (laughs) In the movie. Uh, in In real life. life. Oh, is Wikipedia Jonathan Rhys Myers is from Ireland. Christian Bale is from Wales. Like, We've covered the My continent gosh. of the island of the British Isles. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, so for a movie that I had never really heard of before you suggested this, is it? I know that like this is a classic. It's like this a is a classic in the, the like, queer community. This is a classic trope of hold up where all the cult classic movies Hudson knows. And then I'm like, we should watch an episode of The Office or, the <laughs> or Friends, you know, like that's my that queer balance. content. That's good. Yeah, because I just like I couldn't I couldn't like be caught as like a ten year old like watching Velvet Goldmine in my room. Sure. People would think I people would think I was gay. So you know uh, I couldn't do that. So I never really like delve into any of this stuff. Like I kind of like the indie films that kind of come a little bit later. I certainly have watched, but not this one. So why did you pick? Why'd you pick this? It's I mean it has a stellar cast. Um, but but what was it? What's it about Velvet Goldmine? Um, so I found this movie. Two thousand four was like my big get into all the queer things point in my life because I saw Rent for the first time uh, as my first Broadway show in 2004 and so then I was like on the internet like talking to Rent heads and finding all these lists of like you might be a Rent head if and that's how I got I've heard of Hedwig. Rent you've heard of Rent that's good yeah. <laughs> um, little uh, little Broadway show turned terrible movie <laughs> called Rent um, I've only seen the movie so <laughs> oh no <laughs> your list yeah. uh that's recent oh i guess not the movie's 16 years old already that's horrifying yeah, yeah um it's like not- yeah but velvet goldmine came up on that list and so that's how i found velvet goldmine and like rent and hedwig are both a little too precious to me to talk about mm. on a podcast but i think velvet goldmine i found an article from a few years ago celebrating the 20th anniversary that was like the headline was like the queer film that like holds up the best over time. I found like yesterday and I was like, does it? We'll find out. Uh, but I think it's fun. It's loosely based on the life of David Bowie, like very loosely. Cause he got mad about it. Um, so they changed saw, he was like to make it yeah, less they, about him. Yeah, they, they changed um, that. He was like in talks with them. Yeah. 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 But I love glam rock. So this is a movie that I greatly enjoy. I, uh, the one thing I thought about this film is it doesn't it doesn't totally have this but like almost famous comes out like a, pretty much exactly two years after this movie and I wonder how much like that sort of like 
Velvet Goldmine is sort of the like queer, almost famous, basically, um, yeah. in in a way. Um, and then it just like is in the shadow of of like this like, the, you know, almost famous is like quite an you know a huge. People are talking about how I think that just had its twentieth last year. I guess would have had its twentieth anniversary and so yeah i guess it, i feel like it kind of gets like hidden away behind because it's like similar like the idea of like this young journalist although almost famous he's quite a bit younger um but like you know finding himself through music um yeah hudson had you watched this movie before we watched it for hold up no i hadn't um but you know similarly to uh to zed i also um had 2004 was my big like watching queer movies but i was very much on the like i want to watch all the lesbian movies back then so uh, that didn't, it didn't it didn't fall into right. the, the same uh, you know category for me but I think it was on my Netflix queue in 2005 2006 and I just it, I just kept you know pushing it back for whatever you know for like Debs and then for like what other like Lost and Delirious and all the other lesbian movies that were around at that time um, so yeah it was a first time for me um, and it was like I had no idea what it was going to be about like I watched the trailer yesterday and I was like um, okay, so the guy dies. That's the movie. Like, what is this? Like a murder mystery movie? And then it completely was not. It was, you know, like it kind of a it, it, like yeah, like a, the David Bowie non biopic, which um, was a lot more fun and less traumatic than I was <laughs> than I was going into. <laughs> Who's gonna play Bowie in the in the Bowie biopic? That's like inevitably gonna come. Well, there is one. Um, like that, it's that, not like a was full like biopic, but it's called, I think it's called Stardust, and I've heard that it's terrible. Um, oh. and it's about oh, from 2020, his, like, first trip year. to America. Yeah, it, like, just came out. Um, from his first trip to America in, like, 72 or 73, I think. Um, Johnny Flynn. Johnny Finn played David Bowie, and I've never heard. Never He's a musician, heard. so, from mm-hmm. South, a- so from South Africa, so again, we're, like, yeah, all, all the over globe. the place. Mm, mm. I, I was thinking Timothy Chalamet, right? I mean, he's too short, but Ooh. like, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, I, I mean, I imagine you know Bowie being very tall and lanky, and Timothy. Well, Timothy is very lanky. I don't feel like he's tall, right? He's like because he's like he's, he's got like those cheekbones. Yeah, yeah. He can cheat it. Yeah, really, um, he can do a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. and shoes. makeup effects now, like yeah, they could they could get it. Um, oh, he's five ten. For some reason, I thought he was like five six. You know, he could do it. You know, it's gonna be Timothy Chalamet. It's just. He just wear he'll just wear like platform boots like he'll be fine they can like mess with his height right in a movie yeah they did that for the uh, the Hobbit and yeah. uh, the uh, the the Lord of the Ring movies that's right they made him shorter um yeah I wonder I think it's funny to think of like the year that you start like diving into queer media is like a thing that I think like a like a pretty like I have that thing mine would be a bit later like I don't think I I I think the first time I came out would have been like two thousand and nine ish um I was like eighteen when I went to university and so probably like a a little bit after that probably took me some time to like still be comfortable watching like queer media um but uh yeah i probably had that around like 2011 like that yeah that you just like dive into all things that are like super queer because like you're like i think up to that point like you've been what you've like seen stuff and i maybe have watched stuff but like it doesn't mean necessarily the same thing until you're like mm-hmm. watching it like when you're out and i think that's like a very interesting experience that like I, I feel like a lot of us have like for me it was a lot of like i guess i watch a lot of like trans films before i came out as trans like, i remember like making sure i went to go see like the danish girl which is like you know we could talk about that <laughs> at some point uh eddie redmayne or whatever uh but like yeah i was just like seeking out like every piece of like queer media i could like you know not every piece um because uh, i haven't watched velvet goldmine but you know i think it's an interesting uh, experience that we all 
that we have of like diving in. I think especially as people who talk about pop culture, like podcasts about different stuff, like yeah, diving into like um, queer culture. Yeah. It's interesting too, because for such a huge cast of not queer people, mm-hmm. uh, this movie did not do very well. It yeah, I was wondering. Bu- it had a budget of $9 million mm-hmm. and it made like half of that in box office. I was wondering how many, like it is a really star-studded cast. Like, Everybody who's in it, like, is somebody who's known. I was wondering, like, where were they in sort of their careers at this point of this movie? Like, what had Christian uh, Bale been in by the time? This is pre-Moulin Rouge for you and McGregor. Right. And um, pre-Batman for Christian Bale. Yeah. Yeah, those are uh, sort of their two breakout roles. And even American Tony Clark. I mean, oh, it's probably not pre-American. Well, yeah. It, uh I don't know. This is now the fun game of where we look at yeah. people's IMDb pages. Yeah, I mean, Godfrey's um, Meyer, it's, it's pre um, the, the that, Tudors. That soccer, what's that soccer movie he was in? Uh, Bend It Like Beckham. Was That's, he in that? Wasn't he like the coach in that? Oh, or was someone else? I, I know him. Uh, he played uh, uh, Henry uh, V in the in the TV show The Tudors that my friend and I were obsessed with. And I bet if I look mm-hmm. back on it, it's very, it's very, very bad. I bet. <laughs> um, but that's fine. I loved it. He was invented like Beckham, you're correct. But he that was. was after he played, this. Yeah. Oh. He plays Joe. <laughs> um, yeah, so I feel like it's like maybe some of them had been in like stuff that was, yeah, American Psycho's 2000, so it's before American Psycho. So like, yeah, I feel like kind of like a lot of these people before their like sort of bigger breaks. I feel like Tony Collette, I don't know if I would say that she's really ever, like she's obviously like famous. She's sort of like a that, oh, like she's in, like she's in um, was recently in um, Knives Out um and stuff like that but i don't know what she was like i guess she was in the sixth sense anyway um, um we saw yeah Christian it has Bale's, a... like breakout role in newsies oh was he in newsies he was oh, like gosh. the main He's guy in newsies <laughs> i'm gonna watch that uh and he plays lore in the original little women anyway i yeah it has a really really like stellar cast um uh those four and then eddie is too in there um it's it's a really fun cast i like it a lot yeah, I was I was like pleasantly surprised by the powerhouse cast, and I I just I love seeing these sort of movies that um have an amazing cast. Like maybe right before they're about to break break it big. Like I recently showed someone uh, Best in Show, which I feel like is a very is like in terms of stellar cast is like the same sort of thing. And it's wild seeing these people and like oh my god, like this person, this person, this person, this person, and it's even in the small roles you see these people. Like Eddie Izzard doesn't have a big role, but boom, he's he just he just pops up. You know, it's it's. It's really fun. It's like you almost can play like a check off, like not not check off, not like check off gun, check like checking off a list, um, sort of game while watching this kind of movie. Yeah, like I I really like the music in this movie. I thought the music was really good. Zed, do you know is it, it's like new original music and then some covers? Is that what the music is? Yeah, there's definitely covers in there for sure. Um, like when we first, I can't remember if it's when you first see Kurt Wilde. Uh, I think it is. He's singing an Iggy Pop song. Right. Um, and his character is loosely, David Bowie and Iggy Pop never had a romantic relationship as far as I know. Like obviously mm-hmm. they collaborated a lot. Um, but Kurt Wilde is loosely based on Iggy Pop, uh, who was from Detroit. Um, and TBI is a is an Iggy Pop song, and right. we get the New York Dolls in there, um, a lot of other music from this era, um, Satellite of Love, obviously. Uh, we get Lou Reed as well. 
Um, but then, yeah, I believe there is some new music that gets created specifically for the movie. So, I mean, we watched, um, so you and I watched the Pride documentary on FX, mm-hmm. um, and then we podcast about it. Check it out in the Post Show Recaps Patreon feed. Um, and, like, I feel like this is, like, a thing that, like, I actually, like, looking back when I was, like, sort of, like, thinking about glam rock and then, like, thinking about this movie and how, like, queer glam rock is, like, and how much yeah. it, like, pushes the boundaries of, like, sexuality and gender. How, like, in that Pride doc, they don't really ever, like, talk about, like, music and, like, glam rock specifically. It's, like, early 70s um, music. But it's, like, it, it seems, like, I mean, the story of this movie, right, is, like, Stu- uh, Stuart, this, like, journalist, like, finding glam rock and, like, it helping him come to terms with, like, being gay and exploring gender identity, like, uh, you know, all this stuff. Realizing um, there are other people like him, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, I, I don't know, I was just thinking about how that Pride documentary, like, doesn't really go into that, but it's, like, music and specifically, like, people like Bowie and this, like, the, the early 70s artists, um, how influential they probably were in terms of, like, people discovering themselves and, and other people. Yeah, I think it's it's fairly British in origin, right. and I think the documentary focused yeah, more, was pretty America-centric. Um, obviously, like I said, Iggy Pop is American, as was Lou Reed. Um, but also, they both married women, as did David Bowie. So, True. like, it, they certainly operate in queer spaces and are queer icons, and, like, marrying a woman does not mean that you are straight uh, yes. as a man. Um, but I think there's, the documentary obviously wanted to focus elsewhere. Uh, but I love that in this movie, you know, Brian Slade says, he's like, yeah, well, I'm interested, you know, if the thing that you're saying is the worst thing you could think about me, well, maybe that thing is true and that's okay. Mm. And like, yeah, I am married to a woman and I'm very happy, but I'm also interested in men. And guess what? She feels the same way. So like, it's working out okay. <laughs> yeah, That doesn't last forever, but that kind of like free love attitude of the 60s, um, go, breaking barriers beyond gender, I think is really great to get to. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was doing some like articles. I was doing, looking up some, I wasn't doing articles, I was looking up articles. And there's some interesting like um, analysis of like what it means for like, I mean, a lot of these like, uh, like the real people, like uh, people who probably like were like sexuality being a spectrum that like, yeah, they may have married a woman, but like um, doesn't mean they like didn't, ex- you know, weren't, didn't, weren't bisexual or pansexual or whatever. Um, but talking about like, yeah, these like, like glam rock and specifically like these like, I- like these like musical icons, like um, holding queerness, even though they're like, or like, like almost like presenting queerness, even if they're not mm-hmm. all queer, I think it's a really interesting thing. And then they compared that to like someone like Bowie to like Lady Gaga, a present who's like, um, is, I don't know how Lady Gaga identifies. In terms of like sexu- okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this idea of like, yeah, these are like bisexual or like uh, queer icons. And we've talked about this before, like uh, in terms of like topics that we might, we might want to cover, like people who um, become like queer icons, even if they're not necessarily queer themselves, I think it's like a really mm-hmm. interesting conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and you yeah, know, lots of yeah. women, especially. I yeah, think. lots of women. Yeah, yeah. I, I think about like I want like, you know, when I was younger, I think I would have been like pretty annoyed at like um, someone you know talking about their bisexuality a lot, and but being with someone of like being cis and being with someone of um, the opposite gender who was also cis because like it didn't represent my queerness. But I think I like for Bowie and this character, the character um, from the film, I feel like they're their impact is 
you know, much more important than like what they actually do in their personal lives. Like, you know, like just like dressing outside of the gender norms um, of the time, I think is like super important. And just like, like, I just can imagine like, you know, kids in the 70s seeing someone like Bowie being able, you know, seeing they can express themselves in an alternative um, way in terms of how they, you know, their gender, it, you know, is I, I feel like it's more important than what their actual sexuality is. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I th- and I think I think that's right. Um, you see uh, Brian early in his career, and this is like directly taken from Bowie's life, like with long hair and performing in a dress, um, and that's that's like early early like man who sold the world era bowie of like the late 60s um and like you could be a straight man and wear a dress uh i believe that is something iggy pop does i think he's straight um and he's like i I, you know you can call me a woman because i'm wearing a dress and i don't see that as a bad thing because being a woman is not a bad thing Mm -hmm. um he pops really rad and he's still alive by the way so if you're not if you're out there and you're not familiar with iggy pop you should check him out um yeah so it's like creating that safety by being a very visible and like famous and influential person whether or not your sexuality matches with that is like your gender presentation and sexuality obviously are two very different things Mm -hmm. and so if you want to dress in a way that is considered transgressive you can do that and we're seeing that now with people like billy porter who obviously grace and i have talked about a lot Mm -hmm. um but Harry he's not St- the only one, you know. Harry, Harry Styles, Styles is not the only one. Like, Harry Styles feels very yeah. like reminiscent yeah. of like the like you know he's a British like you know I guess he's like more pop than he is like glam like rock or anything. But yeah, it feels like very evocative of like mm-hmm. this early seventies like glam rock um, I guess attitude. I guess yeah. yeah, it's wild we're still having these conversations though because yeah, like this really reminded me of like people talking about Jaden Smith and him wearing a dress because he's mm-hmm. a presumed cis straight man and like he like it's okay for him to wear a dress it's like people people come out and say that like it's okay for him to wear a dress it's okay for like was a chance the rapper who went on stage wearing a dress recently um i can't maybe not chance the rapper I some think some rapper that's right yeah and like like these these men who um we like publicly are known as cis straight men um and there's there i feel like there's two sides from the queer community there's people who are like yes like let's normalize men in dresses and then there's the no this is this guy is just appropriating queer culture like what where do you where, and like i feel like this is a conversation that's been going on probably since before david bowie and before the characters of this film so i wonder what you what do you uh, folks like uh feel about that and what side are you on oh it was kid cuddy mm. not uh mm. not chance the rapper Sorry, i don't know rap very well for that one um yeah uh and the article that i found says in tribute to kurt cobain um, this is something that like trips me out a little bit about the movie is that like the character is called Kurt Wilde and Ewan McGregor looks like Kurt Cobain, yeah. but that is not, and like kind of sings yeah, like him, but that's not the correct era at all and not who he's playing. Um, but he yeah. certainly has kind of that attitude and vibe. Yeah. It's a pic- like 20 years too early. Yeah. I was looking at, I like looked at it. I was looking at pictures of Kirk and there's like, I was like, Oh, that's who I'm Oh no. It's not. <laughs> it's like, no yeah. Funny. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I didn't make that connection until now, but yeah, it's a really good. Well, yeah. that's where the movie is, shows it's real 90 influence, I guess. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Kurt Wild. Um, uh, sorry. I think that's a really interesting question of like, whether is it like, just, you know, and I, 
I don't know. I don't know where to like, you know, is it people appropriating like queer culture or is it just people being who that like, you know, getting to self-identify. And I, I think I lean more towards that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't know. It is. It's a yeah, it's tricky. For, like, who am I to say that like Harry Styles, if he's not queer, I don't even know. If, I don't know if he is or not um, that he's appropriating queer culture. I don't, I don't know. I think dress how you want to dress. And I think if you want to dress to be transgressive, Mm -hmm. that is a valid choice to make, you know, like that can be an action that you are taking to like take up space in the world that maybe does make it safer for other people who are not doing it to be transgressive. They're doing it just to be themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, But if more people do that, it could make it safer for everybody. I guess for me, I I think it's like someone like Billy Porter, like I, I don't feel like what Billy Porter does is performative. I, I don't think that he, I, any of these examples, I guess I don't feel like it's performative, but I guess that's where I would like draw the line. If the, if the reason you're sort of doing it is, I don't know, maybe that doesn't matter. Like I get, you know, like Dennis Rodman was some is like an interesting example of like somebody mm-hmm. who like wore a wedding dress in public. Like he, he, he had that same line of like um, people like, well, are you gay? And he's like, well, it doesn't ma- like whatever. Like it doesn't matter. Uh, this is all from like the last dance documentary. I didn't yeah. think we'd be talking about sports today, but uh, you know, he sort of has that same thing of like, who cares? Like, why are you asking me? Why do you like what if you're asking me because you want to like out me or whatever, it's like, you know, that's like a bad thing to be at, you know, do it anyway. Yeah. I just think like, and so I wonder like it, maybe it's like when it's performative, but then who am I to say whether it's performative or not, I guess. Yeah. Like, um, because like, I think the issue, the issue I have, sorry to like elaborate on that, that with like it being performative is like then like gender identity and queerness then inherently seems performative. It's like, sure. con- it's sort of in the same boat as like when like, like Eddie Redmayne or whatever plays a trans and then when they show up at the Oscars and they win like best actor, it's like, oh, well, they were just playing mm-hmm. like a, right. like a trans people are just like men playing women or like women playing up. men or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's dress up. It's performative. It's like, you know, whatever. Um, but again, it's like so hard to like figure out that where that line is. And honestly, if they're like doing it in public at like an award show, doesn't, doesn't matter. Like does it, in terms of like the influence it's going to have on like um, people, like, like little queer kids to me, or like little trans people who are like seeing what they can do, you know, how they can identify. Yeah. I don't know if it matters. Yeah. And there, there's such a thin line, especially with the Dennis Rodman. Cause sometimes <laughs> I felt like, watching Dennis Rodman growing up, it was like, is he actually doing it because for shock value or is he doing it because he wants to wear the dress? And sometimes shock value can be not great because it can like reinforce like homophobic ideas and reinforce Mm -hmm. like, ha ha, we're laughing at this man in a dress sort of. Um, So, I mean, I see both sides, but yeah, there, yeah. And I, you know what, that's not what this film is about. This film, like these folks are not wearing dresses because um, they want to, they want to get um people to like like you know give them more press they're wearing dresses because it's a style that they are encompassing so you know this is this is complicated my my thoughts are changing like every second Mm -hmm. i'm talking like i'm like no this is great no this is not great you know um you know wow dennis rodman is a complicated figure i say as someone who grew up in chicago in the 90s hangs out with uh in north korea you know yeah. it's like yeah it's not super clear cut and then the other the one i guess like on this like idea of like performative gender is i mean like as two people i'm asking i guess to you as like people who are like more like sometimes more masculine identified like i feel like we don't get that we don't get like we don't get the red carpet of like i mean i guess a 
a little bit. I, I guess maybe it's just in the way that like patriarchy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm like. Kind of. I'm, I like, mean, it in is, my head, you know? in my head, I keep going of like, is it because like there's much different ways like express like femininity than there is masculinity? Like, I don't think that like probably that's true, but also doesn't mean there aren't ways to express masculinity in like a like a I don't want to say performative way, but in a way like, and we don't we just like those aren't the things that like trend on Twitter, right? Like uh, when we when I see like Harry Styles at like at an award show or Billy Porter, I like see the photos. I, it's not I don't see that necessarily with like um, more like um, female or non-binary identity people who are like presenting in this like shocking masculine yeah. way, right? Yeah. yeah like, Do you want to elaborate not, when you yeah. when you say that's because of the patriarchy? Do you, you want to elaborate mm-hmm. on that? Yeah, because masculinity is considered like the default you know Mm -hmm. straight white cis man that is like that's what a person is at like the basis of how society understands people um and this is something i've thought about a lot because like i read uh jacob tobia's book sissy Mm -hmm. and they talk about like oh well when i put on a dress that was like i was told no don't do that that's wrong because you are a boy and you're supposed to dress in boy clothes um Mm -hmm. but if you are socialized as female and you want to wear shorts or pants that's not weird anymore because that's like Mm -hmm. the default is you dress like a man so that you can go do work which is what men do Mm -hmm. even if you are not like gendered that way when you are going to do work (laughs) you aren't performing the role that men perform uh and so over time as women entered the workforce they were like well i need to wear pants to do my job and so it became more socially acceptable for all people, regardless of gender, to dress the way men dress effectively. Um, and so then it's less transgressive and it doesn't seem like you're doing something other than your gender if you are a person with a uterus wearing pants. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. You- which I think can make it more difficult for people who are socialized as female to like figure out their gender if it is mm-hmm. something other than cis woman because it's like oh well i oh so i dress like a tomboy so i'm a tomboy mm-hmm. right but that's not necessarily accurate um so where it can be so much clearer for uh little kids who are socialized as boys who like to wear feminine clothing to say i'm trans or i'm non-binary or i don't fit what i'm told is how i'm supposed to be i think there is a much in some ways, like, a broader, like, acceptance of the performance of, of womanhood mm-hmm. um, that can then make it harder to be like, okay, but that's not my identity. You know, ju- just because I dress like a tomboy doesn't mean that, like, I am a tomboy, which is implying that I am a woman. Right. Yeah, and, like, I think Thank the you pe- for coming to my gender <laughs> TED Talk. I love it. It's great. It's really fascinating. You can't, can't take me anywhere. <laughs> Well, this is the. Well, yeah, we invited right you on hold up. Come yeah, on. this is. Yeah. I mean, I do this yeah. on any podcast, but here at least it's appropriate. I mean, I just invited you because I miss like having basically like two hours <laughs> every Tuesday to, to do this, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I yeah I you know um when you asked that original question, Grace, like the first people who thought brought up came into my mind were Demi Lovato and um and Sarah Ramirez. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like them showing up on the red carpet with short hair and suits, like they wear these well-tailored suits that still like they fit their bodies correctly. They're not like, they're not dressing up like, oh, look at me. I'm in like a, like I'm in my dad's suit going to, yeah. um, right. you know, the, his going to daddy daughter work day or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, it's considered less transgressive, like a, because yeah, women in suits is like more. Um, accepted these days because literally there's like pantsuit nation th- these days like yeah. hillary clinton right. and yeah. ellen degeneres right. 
you know, walk. So yeah. so folks who want to wear suits that are tailored to a body that has gone through um, years of, you know, estrogen can, you know, look good in them. Uh, Every time I run, I do God, it in a suit. So and I <laughs> and I thank Hillary Clinton and Ellen DeGeneres. That's what oh, I say. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, no. How did we get here? I mean, if you say Queen Latifah, she was wearing suits in the 90s. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. Celine Dion, Tilda yeah. Swinton. Yeah. Like, yeah. lots of very, like, beautiful, classy women have worn suits. Yeah. Um, you know. And that's not like, oh, they're being trans. That's, yeah. They're wearing suits because they want yeah. to. Yeah. Like, you, it's, wild, right? there's, you don't question a woman's sexuality or a person's gender identity when they wear a suit if they're assigned female at birth, you know? Um, whereas, like, it's an automatic with, with uh, an assigned male at birth person, you know? Like, yeah. if they're wearing something that is a dress or considered feminine, which is something, you know, you know society needs to, to work on. And it seems to be, you know, like, yeah, like, see, I'm, I'm going back to my thoughts about men in, like, cis straight men in dresses. Like, yeah, they should, keep, they should wear dresses. And, like, I was even listening to, like, a, a different podcast where a cis straight man, he wore a kilt for the first time and was like, oh, I really like this. You know, I don't know if I want to go back to wearing you know, shorts in the summertime, yeah, you know, it's comfortable. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah, so it, it, I, I feel like we're at this tipping point in a lot of, you know, you know, th- th- this past couple of years have been just wild in general. And I, I do think we're at some sort of cultural tipping point and maybe, maybe in the next five years, like there's going, you're going to see, um, every single piece of clothing on the, the runway for men going, is going to be more dresses and flowy and comfortable in the summertime instead of stiff and, um, patriarchal i don't know <laughs> patriarchy let's get rid of it yeah um, it might take us still more than a few years but wow um yeah and anyway i think that's like yeah it's like those are really it's a really interesting conversation um i think um yeah where i wish the movie addressed this a little more and it's not that the movie exists to like talk about gender particularly not a 20 year old movie probably um is in the character of jack fairy who is, like, there, but doesn't really talk mm-hmm. a lot. It's just kind of this, like, mythical figure who, who does obviously exist and is an inspiration to, like, the generation below him. Um, but certainly has this more, like, drag queen or trans woman, it's not made clear, we don't know, uh, mm-hmm. presentation mm-hmm. Um, in, in the amount of makeup that they wear and in the, like, feminine way that they dress. Um, and I don't know, like I've seen this movie a bunch of times and I look at it through a different lens now than I did the last time that I saw it years ago. Um, and I wish we got more of an understanding of that person beyond like, you know, this, this descendancy coming down from Oscar Wilde, uh, being one of the earliest, like famous queer British writers. Uh, and a lot of the dialogue in the movie is actually like taken from oscar wilde's writings the like so if you hear like the more poetic lines that are not like quotidian dialogue a lot of that is oscar Mm -hmm. wilde stuff uh as this green (laughs) this green pin passes from queer legend to queer legend i guess to queer journalist 
yeah. 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 No, it's, a, it's a little bit of a fairy tale, and I like yeah, that. Sure. But I wish we got a little bit more about Jack Fairy in our fairy tale. I agree. This is like I think this is a thing we've seen a lot of, like when this these movies we've watched or TV shows, and like and the, like the spotlight is on like one person, and then usually there's like somebody on the edge. You're like, no, but move the spotlight to that person. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I want. That's what I want you to talk about. Um, and and they just they they don't like. I guess like again, yeah, a movie that's like 20 years old, uh, maybe is less interested in having Jack Fairy more um, front and center. But yeah, I agree. Like a very like interesting character. And I want to know so much more. I want the spin. I want the like sequel movie with Jack Fairy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, maybe if this movie had done well, they would have gotten there. Maybe that's what, you know, Todd Hayes wanted to do. Um, I'm, you know, probably not. But, um, you know, like, yeah, it was just too early for someone like that to, I feel like, get like a movie that would actually take them seriously and not either be like a tragedy or like some sort of like, you know, comedy farce. Um, I had a question about the Jerry Devine character because I, I did some go- I did some light Googling. I didn't I didn't come in here like with my <laughs> with like my my binders of research, but He's based on like this is the one part that does not hold up for me is that he's supposed to be based on Little Richard. Not um, hmm. not Jerry Divine. Oh, I sorry. think because uh, Jerry Divine's the agent. Oh, yeah. sorry. Who um, am I thinking of? Um, you might be. I think it says in the Wikipedia that like Jack Ferry is lightly based oh. on Little Richard, and we get like uh, young um, Brian singing Tutti Fruity. Oh yeah, and, and Little right. Richard is sort of also like another like um, you know uh, like ancestor of the glam rock movement, mm-hmm. uh, who I think does not get as tied in because he's American and because he's black. Um, so I appreciate that there is like that small nod in putting Tutti Frutti in the movie, um, but like Jack Ferry could have been black, yeah. and maybe if this movie was made now, would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. I think that's it is that like idea of like the the pioneer in this like field of wearing makeup while performing rock music uh, that had not really been done before. Yeah. What is it? Oh yeah. Sorry. sorry. I think the film just falls into that trope of just like um, white like whitewashing rock and A roll. Lot of skinny white, beautiful skinny white people. Yeah. Yeah, which is yeah. frustrating and and very much a sign of the times when this film was made. Because I mean, we're still you know like admitting like white americans are admitting that like you know rock and roll is was created by black people and that punk rock was mm-hmm. created by black pe- people and that glam rock was influenced directly by some people like little richard you know so yeah you know like it's like i don't want to like be mad at the film for this but also it is something that's very frustrating and makes me feel uncomfortable like thinking like oh, like you could have put a black person in this movie like what what like there's no black people like in the main cast of this film, you know, and I know yeah, it's, it's there's England, like the but... one side character woman that we see a few times, yeah. and that's kind of it. Yeah, yeah, they're like mostly just in like scenes where there's like big parties or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it about me? What is like me? I'm thinking like now, there's all these examples like even pre, um, pre like glam rock, um, and especially like I guess with a more like, American focus, like like Little Richard is somebody who like sort of is this like flamboyant queer, and maybe not mm-hmm. out at the time. Like Elton John, certainly somebody who's like fit, kind of fits that as well. Like again, not out until later. Um, even before that, you have like Liberace, like this like showmanship. Like what is it about music and then like queerness? I think that like I'm wondering what is like. I, maybe I should have read like an article before, but um... I think it's a safer <clears throat> space to be more theatrical, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you can perform on the stage and be theatrical on the stage, it can be a little more acceptable 
to then move that into your like daily life off the stage Mm. um you know for all of rupaul's flaws she says we're all born naked and the rest is drag and that i think is true like gender Mm -hmm. is a performance on a daily basis regardless of what your gender identity is you get up every day and you decide how you're going to perform whatever you think your gender is yeah and whether that fits with what society told you is how you should perform your gender or not is like its own thing um yeah but even as kids i mean i firmly I mean, believe and think about all the time e- even as like children i mean like it's not necessarily you perform but it's like you're a lot of like parents do that right of like you are a boy and i'm gonna like you're gonna wear this like truck shirt or like dinosaur shirt which is performative like showing like what your gender is to the world mm-hmm. like it, like from the mo like from so immediately early on like you get a pink bef- blanket or a blue blanket when you pop out of the womb yeah, yeah. before you're born like you're like you know that's all performative in some sense and whether you like people think it's so like ingrained that it's not you know it, it is it really is um so yeah i just think it's a, and music i guess also is so like you know i just think it back to like you know you can like tv like for me is like some like again i joke a lot about like not being able to like watch the movies that i might have wanted to watch because i was afraid of how it would be perceived like music is a little bit like that but it also feels like you know you stick on your headphones you start listening to something or like whatever and you go to a concert it feels like you know you're like in the theater like you're like like it's a little bit more like I don't know. There's something about it, I guess, that I don't want to say it's like secretive or like is, but it is a little bit more like personal sometimes personal, in a sense yeah. um, that I think probably lends itself to like um, there's a lot of queerness in the in the space. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I and think you see that in the movie, too, mm-hmm. um, when I think it's Brian who goes to the theater uh, when he's like staying with his aunt in London when he's very young. Um, and we see the the like the pantomime at the theater. With mm-hmm. Lindsay Kemp, by the way, who was like one of Bowie's mentors, who's this like famous oh, really? mime. Um, yeah, I didn't realize that at first because I didn't know what Lindsay Kemp looks like, uh, mm-hmm. but I certainly know the name. Um, yeah, it's like, and you see that shot of him like by himself watching this experience, and then obviously it talks about like what he sees backstage, which is separate. Um, but you have this, you are having your own experience. You're having a communal experience with the whole audience that you're with, but you're also getting to have your own connection to whatever it is that you're watching or hearing or both. Yeah, I think when you're in a theater too, it feels like you're watching that person on stage, like they're performing. There's like that, which is different than often like a movie, right? Like you never see, you're not like seeing the person, right? You're mm-hmm. like, it's on a screen. And then even when you're listening to their music, it's like off like in your headphones or, you know, wherever. It's like, I don't know. I just think there's something so personal about music um, that lends itself to this. Sorry, Hudson. Yeah, I was thinking, I just think it's it's also, I think, um, more like gender bending and transgressive artists can can uh, become successful because I think there is a bit there can be a bit of a disconnect between the artist and like their their personal style because like if you're just listening on the radio you don't know what this person looks like you know um, True. so I think like even like the most conservative person might hear you know like a Lady Gaga song and not know you know she is like you know extremely you know she's she's queer she has a huge queer fan base and just enjoy that music because it's like if you're in the car you know you're driving you can't just go look that up and see who this person is and compared to like when you're watching television or a movie there's a little bit more intention i feel um when you're doing that um and maybe that's just like modern times where like i was gonna say yeah um radio seems to be like the only like drive time radio especially seems to be like the last kind of like place where you can organically discover new new music new music that is like approved by like you know 
the the conglomerate radio stations yada 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 but um <laughs> still you know like i still do like you know when i'm in a cab you know sometimes i hear music i've never heard before and i have to you know hit that shazam so i can not um forget about it and then i'm surprised and i'm like oh this was like a jack johnson song like i would never listen to jack johnson like purposefully um is there do you guys have the thing where like you would like I put my like I'll pick a song that I like or whatever and I put it on the radio like feature on the on, the, on, on my app mm-hmm. on yeah. Spotify I use like YouTube music but yeah and then it like it just plays you stuff that's like similar or whatever mm-hmm. um, that's how I find music now I mean I guess it is like it's not radio but it's the radio like function on my it's on like my smart music app. radio yeah yeah smart radio yeah yeah it's yeah. like the upgrade from like when Sirius X and like XF XM radio like they were like yeah. you know the punk station the pu- like the 80s station like which is like <laughs> yeah. where you know you know, you discovered music when you were in a rental car. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's scary. My YouTube music now is like, it like curates like playlists. It'll be like, you sh- if you want to listen to like this type of music, we've set up a playlist. It's, a lot of it is like stuff that I've listened to, but it also puts in stuff that I haven't listened to just because yeah. I think it's similar. Like it's, yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. I, I started listening it's to Kurt Wild. Yeah. Kurt Wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All those servers. Yeah. I mean, and maybe that's a sad thing too, because like everything in our world are now being you know, very cater to our own taste. So maybe, you know, conservatives aren't hearing the like transgressive pop music these days. They're not, I mean, they obviously are hearing little Nas X because they're complaining about it. Um, but the new video is, is incredible. I haven't watched oh. it yet, but I have heard. Yeah. <laughs> I've um, seen the pictures. <laughs> Zed, can you explain the ending of this movie to me? So, <laughs> so Slade, Brian Slade does a hoax and is dead. And then like, Everybody like immediately knows it's a hoax, right? Is that the idea? So that like his mute, he sort of like becomes this like person, and he kind of like purposely disappears from like the work because he's like basically unsuccessful now, right? And then I don't get this whole like Tommy Stone thing yeah. is the part I was really confused by. Uh, Do you know? I the ending of the movie is not what sticks with me about this movie. Um, I love the music and I love like the the parts that take place like in the sixties and seventies. So yeah. as the movie, as I was watching it, and I've seen this movie quite, I own it on DVD. That's how oh. I watched it. Um, so I've seen it a number of times, but I was like watching the end and I was like, what is happening? How does this, like, how Yeah, it's like finish? the last like 20 minutes um, I don't really get. He like, yeah, he gets so taken off the Slade beat. He gets moved to the Tommy Stone beat. Tommy is Sloan is Brian Slade. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, played by a different actor though, who looks nothing like him. That, oh, that's supposed to be him. That's supposed to be, that's definitely supposed oh. to be him. They're like, he's like, cause he's like doing the name search and not, and nothing is coming up and he's like, oh, well maybe he changed his name. And then he finds that like his original name before he became Brian Slade was to- Thomas Brian Stone. So now he's oh. Tommy Stone. Okay, I think the part yeah. that messes me up is like when movies do this where like, okay, young Christian Bale is old Christian Bale, but young Brian Jonathan Slade Myers, is Jonathan yeah. Myers and now old is Brian Slade is a, is a way different actor. Okay, yeah. I didn't, that's the part I didn't get at all. I had to like, look it up because I was like, that's not him. They do the like thing where he like – it's like Tommy St- on the video and he like turns his head and it's like young Jonathan Reese Myers. Like right. They did that. And so I get like, I guess that's supposed to be the cue, but I feel like the end was so poorly done. Yeah. In that way. And that is a big diver. I mean, there's lots of divergences obviously from David Bowie's life in this movie. Um, but the, and, and David Bowie never like pretended to die, but he did when <laughs> yeah. he was finishing his uh, Ziggy Stardust and the spiders from Mars era. He just, like, announced at the end of the last show that it was the last show. Like, the band didn't even know. Oh, wow. um, and then he kind of, like, disappeared for a little while. 
And so that's that's like correlates with Brian's Maxwell demon and the Venus in Furs persona. Venus in Furs is a um, a Velvet Underground Lou Reed song. I- I'm sure um, if in real life, like the real David Bowie was named Brian Slade. And like, and then in this movie, like, is like David, like David Bowie is such a bad rock star name, but like Brian Slade is a really bad rock star name. And then Maxwell <laughs> Demon is no Ziggy Stardust, like at all. True. It's not even close. It's, it's so yeah. bad. It's almost like he, they like, they were just like, oh, we cannot use Ziggy Stardust. I guess well, they was like looked around the room and were like, okay, there's a Maxwell amp. Coffee. <laughs> He, uh, Maxwell oh, coffee and I yeah. worship the devil. Like yeah, <laughs> demon. That's that's yeah. that's glam. I don't know. Um, so bad. It's so. Mandy bad. says in when she's like talking to to Arthur in the bar, she's like, yeah, I didn't know for a month. Like I thought for a month that he was actually dead because they forgot to tell me. It's brutal. Um, yeah, I didn't get. I, didn't and get I guess that he comes back stuff, for a while, but it's just like not the same and not as people, good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he and Kurt Wilde are not, you know, Kurt Wilde broke his heart or he broke Kurt Wilde's heart or both. Uh, obviously, they have their big divorce, um, he and Mandy. Uh, and then his career is just not as successful. And so I think he disappears into oblivion and reemerges as, as Tommy Stone. Tommy Stone. Mandy's accent is another one. And I was, uh, we were kind of talking about this before. Like, Ewan McGregor, I think, has the most egregious accent in this movie. And then I was wondering, like, there's moments when Stewart is, is interviewing Mandy, um, Total American accent, like completely. But like in the divorce scene and some of that stuff, like it's like goes like it's pretty heavy British and then not British. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering, like, is she British or American? I wondered if it, this is like, you know, when you hang around with people and you pick up their mannerisms and accents or whatever. Um, I wondered if that's like that, that her living yeah. in England is like she has this British accent and then she's like moved on and years later. And so she's kind of lost it. Um, but, yeah, that was I couldn't follow that. Either. <laughs> I mean, if she's a corollary to Angie Bowie, David uh-huh. Bowie's first wife, uh Angie was American uh, and is a very divisive figure among Bowie fans as like having like helped create his career and then also like, you know, destroyed his life or something. Uh, we um, talked about we talked about uh, Big Brother the last time we were on. Is Angie Bowie, is she, there's like a really famous scene from Celebrity Big Brother. If you've never watched it, it's like she, there's a, there's a house guest named David in the house and then Angie's husband is David and she tells another Person, this is. I think it's a really famous person. She tells too. She comes. She goes. I have to tell you something. Like David died, and the person thinks that David, who was in the Big Brother house, is dead, and she freaks out. And then she finds out that the person is alive, and she freaks out on Angie, being like, "You told me he was dead." And then it's this huge like misunderstanding. It's like incredible. It's like on Celebrity the, Big Brother UK UK UK. Oh, okay. I was like, I watched the American ones. That's if like you've the never only Big seen Brother it, I've watched. No, so I have to go watch this. So then Angie Bo, and it's um. Uh, uh, Wait, she was in the Big Brother house when David Bowie died. Yeah, and actually, I was gonna say you, uh, you, you, and I think both have David Bowie when he passed away. I think we both have like interesting stories. I wanted to get that to. Oh, uh, it's no. Tiffany, Tiffany, uh, Pollard. Is oh, that is New that? York? Tiffany, New York. Oh yeah, Pollard. Yeah. So this is the story. I'll just reset. There's a house guest in the house named David, and yes. then there's Tiffany Pollard and Angie Bowie, and Angie yes. Bo- Angie and Tiffany kind of have this like on and off like like relationship they kind of like get mad at each other angie goes in the diary room finds out that her husband david like her ex has passed away she goes out and she's like she's walking around and she's like tiffany i have to tell like please come over here. i have to tell you something they sit on the couch together and she's like david died and tiffany thinks that this is david who lives in the big brother in the house. house yeah and so she starts like 
crying. She starts like being really mad. And she goes and she walks around and she finds David in the house. And she's like, <laughs> Angie just told me you were dead. And so she comes back and she starts yelling at Angie Bowie, being like, you just lied to me. Like, what are you doing? Like, why? what the hell are you doing? She's yelling at her. And then Angie never really clarifies what like she meant. She's like, no, David's she dead. She means she's like, David no. Bowie, <laughs> her very famous, famous ex-husband. <laughs> yes. It's, it is... It is wild. I mean, I, I feel really bad. Like Angie Bowie is like in the in moments of grief, like finding out her husband died. But it is like wild, wild television. Wow. Yeah. We'll put I it in. I'll put it in the show that. notes. Watch it. Watch it. Yeah. After. It's, um, it's first thing. If you type in Angie Bowie, it literally yeah. autofills to like Big Brother. David dead, I yeah. think, probably. And there's two. Yeah. There's like a couple of clips you can watch, which, I, That's you know, brutal. I don't know if I can. Yeah. I don't know if I could watch her diary room or whatever, you know. Interviews, yeah, skip that. Skip that. The skip Tiffany that. Pollard, you know, I mean, because, you know, New York is is an amazing person and ca- so charismatic. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to watch this. But, yeah, wow. Big Brother, they capture some really amazing moments. If you've never watched just the it's moment wild. when the, the house gets are told about September 11th um, in season two, that is wild. And then one of them is told, your cousin has gone missing in the attacks. So wild. And so her cousin wild. actually yeah. did die in the attacks. Yikes. Oh and God. yeah um uh so david Bo- when david Bowie passed away i was flying to england uh london for uh a, a work event thing and we got there and we found out david Bowie died and we had the night to do whatever we want so we went to um what was it? what's his hometown i can't remember we we took the train uh the, the, yeah we went up there and we went to like the memorial that was set up like where like in his hometown with a big mm-hmm. mural and people were just singing like david bowie songs it was like one of the most powerful experience like very sad but um yeah like a really powerful experience you have like a Dave, like a david bowie yeah, story, right? i was in israel yeah uh on birthright i'm sorry <laughs> um and we were like in the middle of a national park in the desert and our tour guide is like looking up a fact on his phone and he like opens his phone and he goes oh shit david bowie died and so that's how I found out David Bowie died at like 11 o'clock in the morning in the middle of nowhere with people I've known for like three days. And I like burst into tears around 40 strangers mm-hmm. uh, and like freaked out. I don't really remember the rest of we like did this beautiful walk through a national park that I have no recollection of. Um, but then they let me take over the the bus audio system and play Ziggy Stardust from start to finish on the Amazing. because I was in mourning. Um, on the plane ride home from that trip, Alan Rickman died. Uh, yeah. Same, yeah, this is the same thing. I was, yeah, and we were I like got leaving home and Alan Rickman died. And my yeah. phone turns back on and I get all these texts like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Oh man, you're having a really rough week. Like, oh, I feel so bad. Like, oh no. And I'm like, but no one said what happened. <laughs> oh, no. I'm just getting all these upsetting text messages. I was like, what's going on? Yeah, it was a, it was a rough time. Rough week. Yeah. Remember, yeah. remember when like celebrity deaths were like the worst thing to happen in a mm-hmm. year people was like wow 2016 was a bad year because and that was right know. after lemmy that was the three yep. yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, brutal and then print was a few months later oh, so sad yeah it's bad started terribly and just got like, you start it got... the year with david bowie dying and it just like stayed that terrible yeah has it gotten better like no. since then was no. that like the end it's yeah i think that was the end bad yeah. it's i mean it's yeah. that meme that goes around of like i don't want to say that like david bowie was like holding the universe together but, but... like gestures broadly at everything well see my theory is actually yeah. betty white is holding the universe together and things are going to get real bad <laughs> when she dies oh my if oh, this gosh. is Be- if this is betty white holding the universe together betty you gotta you gotta <laughs> she's like a hundred years step it up she's like 100 yeah. years old okay give her a break 
Um, uh, no, well, because she, here's why. Anyway. Is because and this is completely off topic. But all the Golden Girls died three years in a row: 2009, 2010, 2011. And then I was like, Betty's gonna die in 2012, and then the world's gonna end. And that didn't happen. And then the apocalypse didn't happen. Yeah. So I mean, Betty, obviously, turns... obviously, like correlation is causation. So um, Betty turns 100 in January. So come on. Is she a Capricorn yeah. too? Yeah. Always a Capricorn. Yeah, they're uh, they're they're both my fam. And I was just on the subway when when Bowie died. I was just like reading the news on my. Oh, so yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. And I yeah. actually I had a really close friend growing up who was a huge Bowie and Ellen uh, Rickman fan. So I also I had to like console her like via text like when it both of those happened really brutal. close to each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I actually didn't know David Bowie was in Labyrinth until I was like fourteen because <gasps> it was like I watched Labyrinth like every like all the time as a kid but like i didn't make that connection because i was like a dumb teenager yeah. and then my friend was like hello he's the goblin king and i was like that's david bowie because jim henson's kids were like you got to get david bowie in this movie and he was like um incredible okay i guess i i have Jared. i have one last discussion question um yeah so I think about this film it's so it's basically i would say it's about let's say like 25 27 years after it's so it, it, it it's it's made about 25 27 years after um the like events take place basically like you know and so if, if today there were to be a movie about the same you know the same time jump that would be the late 90s early 2000s so <laughs> it'd be a movie made about like 1998 yeah, yeah. so what would <laughs> what, what like what transgressive like what was the transgressive queerness of 1998 and the only thing i can think of is like ellen degeneres <laughs> Um, when did uh when did Madonna and Britney and Christina? Two thousand three. Oh, so too late. Yeah, we're not quite. Tattoo there yet. was two thousand three. Like, if they were gonna make that movie, I guess it would have to be about two thousand three and the lesbian kisses around the world. Um, <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's sad. Yeah. Uh, this is like the thing of like when people talk about like if that '70s show was made today, it would be like mm-hmm. it was twenty years difference. So it'd be like that two thousand show. It's oh, I don't. I, that's no. like I am not excited for two thousand nostalgia because the early two thousand sucked. Okay, maybe that was because I was yeah. a teenager then and I was not yeah. into like the mainstream music and I didn't like emo. But man, like being being like a young teenage girl who liked like like the like alternative stuff, it sucked back then because like Buffy was no longer on the air. We had to deal with like misogynistic emo pop on the radio, <laughs> you know. Like it was Paris Hilton skinny, being skinny and wearing hip, you know. Oh God, hip huggers! You know? Why did we ever do that to ourselves? It was it was horrifying, you know. And then yeah. it was just like this, you know. And you know, I'm gonna stop ranting because this is not what this is about, but yeah um anyway when people start i think that bring that does them. make a point though that like it, it, i mean we're gonna get to the question very soon i think of does this movie hold up and i think making a period piece helps right because like you're talking about it in the time that it took place and with the the attitudes that people of the late 60s or early 70s had rather than trying to depict the like current 90s feelings about it so when you get the people in the record store being like you're gross you're a poof because you're buying this like you know this record of this man who wears makeup would people still feel that way in the 90s is that how they'd want to depict it i don't know but they're not doing that they're specifically showing uh, you know a bygone quote-unquote bygone era yeah i think we should ask the question too you know you you brought it up let's talk about it like how do you feel this movie holds up um and do you think it is the most 
while holding up queer film that you have <laughs> wa- like I think this is a question for both of you like of, of que- queer mm-hmm. films from like I guess 20 years or earlier is it does it hold up the best for you or is there a film that holds up better I mean I think other than like to your point that the cast could certainly be more ethnically diverse uh, and I think now those roles would be I would hope by this point cast with queer actors rather than a bunch of apparently not quite that famous yet straight men. Um, I think story like narratively, I think it, it holds up and I think it depicts people with complex sexualities in like a, a fair way. Um, I agree. I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think it holds up. It's, I don't, I, you know, I think you're right. Like the, the casting is maybe one thing that would be like, different now um but i would watch this i i would watch it again i think it's uh it's good i think um yeah i think the complexity i think is a good point of um why it's very interesting is it the best like like i don't know when we say like is the movie that holds up the most like i guess we'd have to put like a time frame on that i can't really think of something else right now that i'm like i would be like oh no this is better than than that um but i don't know if it's if it holds up the most of anything, but I think it holds up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think it does hold up. And I think um, to Zed's point, yeah, it, because of it being a time period uh, or a period piece, it holds up even better. Um, besides, you know, the few things that we've all, you know, we all kind of um, agreed on, but I do think, but I'm a cheerleader held up better um, as, as another movie about like transgressive sexuality and gender. Um, so I think I would, I don't think I have any like S tier, like legendary tier um, movies from that time period I can think of, but I think both of them end up in the A tier um, of holding up well and something that you can watch without cringing um, and could show to like a 15 year old who is on their kind of like, like everything is problematic, um, you know, phase (laughs) and they wouldn't have too much to nitpick about it. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that about But I'm a Cheerleader because I have not watched that movie in a very long time. Oh, I thought you were going to say ever. I had never watched it before I watched it. No, I have seen But a Cheerleader several times. Yeah, no, it holds up up well. Uh, We actually did an episode about it. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was, uh, it's like, uh, much more like sat, like sat, I, like it's a comedy, right? So it's mm-hmm. like satire and like queer culture, which I think, um, sort of like you know, all to, all like kind of falls in a different category a bit. But um, yeah, it yeah. was really fun to to go back and watch. I'm just looking through a list of like best LGBTQ movies ever, um, and like wow, there's some really good like modern day queer. Again, like the one part is like there's not a ton of like representation even like in more modern movies, but um, stuff like uh, I mean, Moonlight is listed as their number one. Yeah, but you movie. get one Moonlight every like 20 years, which is like not great right. carol uh pride is on here is that a movie i we love watched that movie the... i i love that movie have you watched that the series uh, pride no it's um a it's an irish yeah movie about the uh the miners strike in like 1983 84 in in ireland or wales wales um, actually yeah Huh. And the and the the lesbian and lesbians and gays support the miners. It was this. It's like this really socialist, like class solidarity it's film. It's, it's really, really so good. good. I'm gonna check that out. I'm on a I'm uh, on a Wales the, kick right now. Anyway, I'm watching yeah, Gavin oh, and Stacey. Oh, so. so I good. I want to watch it. the cast is incredible. It's um, uh, Bill Nye is in it. Yeah, and um, uh, 
who's what's that? She's she's in the Harry Potter film. Uh, Melda Staunton, uh, who plays gonna, Professor Umbridge. Yeah. She's gonna, she's about to play Queen Elizabeth, I think, in the Crown. But um, oh, yeah, she's great. she's amazing in it, and I love their accents. I just wanna I wanna watch it again so I can just like walk around my house uh, speaking in a Welsh <laughs> accent, basically. Uh, yeah. Anyway, a, I mean, yeah, we were kind of like uh, we have. There's a lot of good queer movies out there, like more modern ones. But uh, anyway, that's Velvet Goldmine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Zed, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? I'm, I'm out there on the internet. I'm at Hard Rock Hope on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I podcast about Final Fantasy over on Post Show Recaps. Those episodes drop every Saturday. I'm also podcasting about The Mole, which is now on Netflix. Mole Patrol Season 2 is going strong. Um, those episodes drop Tuesdays on the reality TV wrap ups feed, or we have our own dedicated feed over on RHAP, Rob has a podcast. Um, and Sundays and Tuesdays, you can catch me on twitch.tv slash dmphilly playing various role playing games, including D&D in space with Grace. <laughs> with Grace, yeah. That's what, that's what I'm up to. That's where I am. Yeah. And if you haven't yeah. watched The Mole ever, you should watch The Mole listen to the podcast it's a really it's, a it's really fun um the mole <laughs> really if good. you're an american uh uh subscriber to netflix first two seasons are on there now so boom just watch it on there and like i can't believe the timing of this so like you did mole patrol season one it's last so year and then like yeah. around the time you're about to do season two they're like we're, we're just gonna drop this on netflix the like season that you can only watch on like poorly vhs like kind of solve tapes. this problem for you <laughs> it's incredible it's the it's bright incredible the bright time. spot of 2021 yeah, yeah. coming to netflix and, and hudson where can oh, oh yeah go ahead. i was like where can people find you I, i'm i have a much shorter oh. outro so you you go uh at high from grace on twitter um twitch.tv slash dm philly playing dandy in space um i don't think right now i really have anything else going on so yeah pretty quiet around here yeah, pretty quiet on my front. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, nonboinary, uh, which is tagged in the Hold Up Podcast uh, Instagram, which is Hold Up Podcast with one P. Same with our Twitter. Um, my Instagram sets private just because you know security. People but yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can fo- if you follow me, if you like follow request me from because if you hear me from the podcast, I will I will let you in. Okay, you know I'm not it's, yeah. I'm not just like being a walled garden out, down here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think people know what we're doing next week because we swapped our episodes around. Mm-hmm. I should have said that at the top of the episode. But Hudson, what are we watching next week? We're watching the pilot episode of My Name is Earl. And we're definitely going to be talking a lot about the character Kenny, who um, was the token gay character of that show. So I am looking forward to our discussion on that. Cool. Um, all right. I'm looking forward to that. My Name is Earl next week. Um, Zed, thanks for coming on. I, uh, thank you so I, much for having me. This was really fun. I love chatting with you. It's the best. Um, I love yelling about gender anytime, anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Down with the patriarchy. Uh, and capitalism. And capitalism. Uh, <laughs> all right. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye.